Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest insights, trends, news, and resources from leaders in the building performance and rating world. Here's your host, a committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, and the podfather of energy efficiency, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal at Res Talk to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about all the topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So if you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear more about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. To the ResNet community, we hear you and wish to engage. With Texas as the leading state in new home starts, we can expect some housing trends first to arise there. Now, why was House Bill... 3215 developed and enacted in Texas. What entities and organizations participated in developing the language in the bill? And how will this impact the HERS industry in Texas and elsewhere? Joining us on today's podcast is Ned Munoz, VP of Regulatory Affairs and General Counsel at the Texas Association of Builders, or TAB, and James Rodriguez, Executive VP at Fox Energy Specialist. Amongst other things, James will share with us the desire to set up a hybrid approach that is to introduce a second universal pathway of state energy compliance that is performance-based. Now, this means that Texas will now recognize the Home Energy Rating System, or HERS, index scores as a standalone compliance pathway, which will help untangle it from the current ICC-IRC versions of the Energy Rating Index, or ERI, pathway. Ned, amongst other things, will Explain to us how the Texas Association of Builders recognizes the impact the mandated energy codes have on housing affordability while still encouraging energy-efficient home building, and how these concepts influenced the wording of the bill. Now, it's important to note that the state of Texas overlay energy code for single new family construction was not updated or changed by this bill. In the show notes, you'll see the HERS index pathway thresholds that remain in effect for about 10 years talking about the timeline over different periods of time and the HERS index for climate zones two and three for Texas. It's also important to note that the 2018 IECC mandatory items in building envelope thresholds must still be upheld as part of these HERS scores. We also provide a lot of links in the show notes to articles in the topics, the actual text of the bill, FAQs in the bill, and of course, links to the LinkedIn pages for James Rodriguez and Ned Munoz. Okay, on to the conversation with Ned and James to learn more about the HERS Index and the Texas House Bill 3215. Today we have two guests to talk about Texas House Bill 3215. And I have on my left, virtually, Ned Munoz. Good afternoon, Ned. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Everything good? Doing great, thanks. And James Rodriguez on my right, virtually. Hi, Bill. Happy to be with you. Great. I'm going to ask both of you to give the listeners a little bit about your background so they know where you're coming from, your background in, say, the housing industry, and why we're talking about this topic today. I'll start with Ned, please. Yeah, Ned Munoz. I'm with the Texas Association of Builders, I'm the Vice President of Regulatory Affairs and General Counsel. In our association, represents about 10,000 members statewide here in Texas. 
in the home building industry. And so the way we approach things at the legislature, at regulatory agencies and policy in general is on a housing affordability note. And I've been here since 2006 and really enjoy the industry and advocating for it. Do your travels take you a lot into the legislature with the builders? How does that work out? Definitely. So I'm here in Austin, state capital, Texas legislature. They meet every two years on the odd numbered years for about five months. And so I'm at the legislature a lot. So I'm a lobbyist and I lobby for the home building industry. So whether it be regulatory agencies during the interim when we're not in session or at the legislature during session, I'm definitely on those policy areas working with each agency. I'll work with some city councils every now and then as I support our local home builders associations. We've got, I think, 27 statewide. And then Sometimes I'll work with our National Association Home Builders in Capitol there in D.C., but mostly it's at the Texas legislature. Spent a lot of time there. Very good. James, give us some of your background, please. Bill, thanks for having me on. My name is James Rodriguez. I'm the owner and chief operating officer of Fox Energy Specialists. Fox Energy Specialists is a third-party energy code inspection testing and obviously HERS rating provider where one of the larger providers in the state of Texas, we do about 10,000 ratings a year currently in single-family production. And I've been in the industry since 2008. I got into the industry on the rating side of the industry just in time for the Great Recession. So that was a fun learning experience for me and our company. But we have definitely taken a lot of lessons learned from that time and applied them to more practical and efficient practices today. And we've been much better off for it. And we've come out the other side very successful. And I'm very proud to be a part of this industry. But prior to that, my first job out of college, I was a political science major at the University of Texas. So I gravitated towards politics early on in my career. And I did some work in D.C., working on a couple of presidential campaigns out there straight out of college and then working on Capitol Hill for a couple of years. So this whole thing has come full circle for me with a little bit of experience in the political realm, but a lot more experience in the energy rating world. And so this house bill was just one example of that pathway coming full circle. So we'll stick with you for a minute, James. And can you tell us what the purpose of the house bill 3215 is? Initially with house bill 3215, we wanted to come up with a hybrid approach to introduce a second universal pathway of state energy compliance. The very first universal pathway was adopted back in 2001, and that was the Energy Star program. And everybody knows what the Energy Star program is, an above code, energy code compliance program by design. We wanted to come up with something that was similar in nature, very much performance-based, but also had some infrastructure towards the traditional codes, be it the IECC energy codes. And so we worked together with several stakeholders. It, Texas Association Builders led the charge on that effort. They engaged rater companies like ours. They engaged leading builders of America. They engaged a lot of other stakeholders and to try to come up with a hybrid approach. We knew that the HERS Index was a very, very popular program in Texas, has been for many, many years, since the mid-90s, really, that some builders have been using it that long in the state of Texas. So we wanted to introduce a pathway that would allow for that mechanism to be utilized to demonstrate energy code compliance. And so that was the main objective, was to come up with something that wasn't totally rigid within the box of the ICC codes, but had more flexibility, specifically on product flexibility, 
And we use the ANSI 301, i.e. the HERS index standard as a baseline for that. And then over time, we added the 2018 backstops, prescriptive backstops, and the mandatories of the 2018 ICC to give it some more rigid code infrastructure. That's what the end product ended up being at the end of the process. Thank you, James. Thank you. We appreciate that. Very good description on the background there. Ned, can you give us some background of the timeline of how this progressed? Yeah, certainly. So over the years, we've recognized that with the ever-increasing inflexibility and extraordinarily high levels of mandated energy codes, housing affordability was significantly suffering. And we were seeing this just progress over the years. And while TAB, and TAB is Texas Association of Builders, we refer to ourselves as TAB, while TAB recognizes the need to encourage energy efficiency, it's imperative that housing affordability is not jeopardized in that process. So we believe in voluntary market-driven solutions that best achieve that energy efficiency. And new home construction, new home construction and remodels are significantly more energy efficient than existing housing stock due to better insulation, energy efficiency appliances, other improvements stemming from more modern building codes and just market awareness in general. What we were realizing is that it makes little sense to apply outdated and static requirements to new homes and residences. And as our National Association of Home Builders has testified before Congress on numerous occasions, targeting new homes harms housing affordability and encourages people to remain in older, less energy efficient homes. In turn, this results in higher energy usage, higher greenhouse gas emissions, and really a lower standard of living. So over the years, as we saw this, we thought we needed to do something here. And I think it came to a head with ICC and the 2021 energy code adoption process. It was very contentious. It was a controversial one. It resulted in ICC, and this is the International Code Council, overhauling that very same process. We also were seeing that those 2021 energy provisions, as they were coming down the line, as we saw them being created, were unreasonably raising the cost of construction, especially home construction, and pricing tens of thousands of Texans out of the housing market if that code was just adopted straight up. And so this is real important to us because as Texas A&M Real Estate Research Center has found a couple times now, in Texas, for every $1,000 you raise the price of a home, you're pricing out 22,000 households. And so it does make a big difference. And we thought what we want to do is update the Texas Energy Code with the latest ANSI Energy Rating Index. And this we knew and were seeing would allow homeowners and builders to choose the features best suited for them based on cost and or products and preferences. It would encourage, and it does encourage, we're seeing the innovation in energy efficiency and helps provide a more competitively priced product as well as a home in the market. That's what was behind us. That's the timeline. And so last session in 2021, we created and updated this performance path, which allows the builder and the homeowner to choose what is best for their particular home, for their pocketbook, and for their preferences. Are all the municipalities in Texas required to accept a home being built to these standards, this compliance pathway? Yes. If you're going through this, it, it is a performance path for that state energy code, just like it's always been for the Energy Star homes. Yes. 
Do you get a lot of input from the builders or how do you seek input from the builders when these questions and issues come up? We've got many members statewide. We've got all sorts of builders. We've got our members include the volume builders. It includes remodelers who are doing one or two projects a year. And so we've got a process where we meet three times during the year. We've got a codes committee in particular that really focuses on these energy issues. Our members include not only builders, but people like James. And I really have over the years have relied on James in particular to help us understand exactly how these energy mandates coming down the pipe are going to affect our homeowners and our home builders. And our members are able to actually put pen to paper and determine exactly how much this is going to cost. And that's done through, like I said, home builders, remodels themselves, but also our members such as James, who really help everyone understand and put a price on what these mandates will cost if they are the only option. Right. They're put through. Sure. So turning to James, how long have you been engaged in business for quite a while, but how long have you been engaged in this kind of process? It sounds like a really great idea, as Ned mentioned, that the rating community gets involved here. Yeah. So my involvement directly with TAB and the builders associations across the state, oh, I want to say probably about 10 years now, just going across the state because we our service territory is across the state. So it's in our best interest to be active at the local builders associations across the state of Texas. And I've been engaged in those associations for the past 10 years and just providing the feedback, like Ned said, of, okay, these new codes are coming down the line. What is the practical impact that they're going to have out in the field? Because us as rating providers and HERS raters out in the field and doing the energy models up front, we're the ones that have to live with the consequences of these codes being written. And over the years, we've gotten really good at predicting the energy consumption of these homes. And so we've used that over the years to come up with these new alternative methods of compliance that serve the greater good, while at the same time being more cost conscious to both the home builder and in turn the home buyer so that housing affordability can be preserved in the state of Texas. But kind of a long-winded answer to your question there. But yeah, I've been actively involved for about a decade and we've been involved whenever the state adopted the 2015 energy codes. I guess that was back in 26. It was in 2015, right, Ned? That's legislative sessions. Yep, that's correct. Raider providers like myself and a couple others, we testified on the House and Senate floor and during those committee hearings and whatnot. And then we did it once again, a couple sessions later. So it's been a work in progress over, I'd say, the past 10 years. 10 years. Wow. A long time in coming. I read a blog post on your website, and it talked about how this could provide many builders, especially Climate Zone 3, with very viable long-term statewide compliance options moving forward. Why do you focus in on Climate Zone 3 type situation? Climate Zone 3, in specifically North Texas, is just a hotbed of very large impacts when these energy codes are adjusted each cycle. The Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is a prime example that one of the largest home building markets in the country, if not the largest, as far as number of starts and closings. We have very, very cold winters and we have very hot summers. So we in Climate Zone 3 have to bear the brunt of both of those impacts as it relates to energy codes. So we don't have to just have really efficient cooling equipment in our climate zone like most people think of Texas. It's hot. Obviously, it's hot everywhere in Texas. But we also have to have very efficient heating equipment. 
because we get very cold winters every single year. And so Climate Zone 3 is always a different animal when these new codes are released, specifically in the Dallas-Fort Worth market, when compared to the other major markets in Texas that reside in Climate Zone 2, that being your Austin, Houston, San Antonio, and your Waco, Temple, Colleen regions. So there's a vast difference of what a builder has to do in Climate Zone 3 to build an energy code compliant home versus that same builder in Climate Zone 2. The actual detail of the act, Ned, I'm always amazed by this kind of legislative writing. Can you tell us a little bit like how this actually got structured? What is the process of this going into place? We had the framework in place from James mentioned 2015. We had a framework in place. And I think the biggest back and forth that we had had to do with two things. Number one were the scores themselves. And we want to make sure that the score was energy efficient, that it does make a difference, but it also at the same time that it's attainable and that it makes sense for homeowners and home builders to achieve that particular number. So over time, that number is going to go down. And that makes sense in terms of more innovation, more product coming online. Another big part of it is you've got a bunch of stakeholders here. You've got Sierra Club was very involved. We worked with them, but you've also got Chemical Council, and that's another trade association that they wanted to have say in this. They certainly are a big stakeholder. And when you look at the bill, one of the pieces of it is to have a minimum envelope. And that was as a result of working with Sierra Club environmentalists, but also with Chemical Council and those who were providing the product. And so I think the concern that so many people have is that you're going to ignore the envelope and try to hit your performance paths or your performance issues in other areas. And so we wanted to make sure that there was a strong envelope there in place. And that was able to get some of these other stakeholders on board with the bill, if not supporting it, at least not opposing it. And so working in the state legislature, they say it's like making sausage. You don't want to see how it's made, but the outcome usually works out. And I think that was the case here. You've got a lot of people with their fingers in the pie, and we worked with everyone in order to address concerns that people had here and there. And I think we came up with a pretty good bill that makes everyone happy. Turning back over to James, how would you describe for the listeners the minimum envelope concept or that thought? So it's based on the 2018 prescriptive tables for the building envelope. And that was a little contentious from me personally and the Raider community, because it is prescriptive, can allow for prescriptive UA compliance, but we joke about it internally with me and my competitors. We call it the prescriptive gut punch, because especially in Climate Zone 3, it's a much more robust building envelope than what you would find in Climate Zone 2. But it does outline all of those provisions, be it your U factors being at 0.32 or lower, your attic insulation being at R38 or better. And then your wall assemblies as well, which is a big deal in Climate Zone 3. It's a vast difference in Climate Zone 3 having to deal with R13 plus 5 continuous versus Climate Zone 2 that's just a straight R13. That's a beefy envelope. That's nothing to really discount at all. So if a builder is going to go this pathway, and we're finding already in our scenario models, if they're going towards this pathway, especially in Climate Zone 3, there are many instances where this actually exceeds in stringency versus today's current 2021 performance path because of that envelope backstop that's embedded in it. But 
this is a little bit ahead of its time. I do want to caveat with that. This standard is a little bit ahead of its time because of those intricacies in the envelope. And it has a 10-year plan. So what may be less attainable today is going to be very, very attainable in the years to come when we start seeing 2021 become more mainstream in Texas. And the 2024 is about to hit probably later this year or early next year. Some municipalities, once that's published, there's always municipalities that adopt that across the state. So this universal pathway, although may appear to be a little bit stringent because of the prescriptive building envelope requirements today, I can assure you it will be very viable 18 months to two years from now. It does have a long runway ahead of it. And that's because of availability materials and developing techniques that builders use? Yeah. And I'll give you a prime example of what we're seeing today. In 2021 jurisdictions, 2021 IACC jurisdictions, because a jurisdiction can adopt a more stringent code than the state minimum. So there are already a lot of municipalities that have adopted the 2021 IACC. A perfect example of that is R8 ductwork is required under the 2021 IACC if your ductwork is located outside of the thermal boundary. Last year, and even into this year, we went through a severe supply chain shortage where a lot of our builders could not get their hands on R8 ductwork. And so without this universal pathway, this house bill, they were stuck in the mud or they would have been stuck in the mud. So I had a lot of builders coming to us and say, hey, what can we do? Because well, I'm in this 2021 jurisdiction, but I can't get my hands on R8 ductwork. Well, okay, let's see what happens when you stick R6 ductwork on that model and we replace your water heating with your conventional tank to a tankless. And that's key because a tankless, you'll get hers credit for that, whereas otherwise in performance path code calculations, you may not. And so this was a perfect solution for those builders in the marketplace that had R8 ductwork shortages hit the street and they needed another way to demonstrate compliance that the cities would accept. So more items on the menu to pick from in order to get compliance. And that's the beauty about the HERS index. It is unbiased with products. It just gives you the index and it says, basically, we don't care how you get there, just get there. And so that's why it was imperative that the HERS index system was a backbone to this universal pathway, because it does give you that avenue of product flexibility, despite the circumstances of what's actually happening in the real world. And we're still experiencing that today with many, many shortages. Like it could be ductwork today, but tomorrow it could be LED lighting and it could be other products down the road. Equipment. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Furnaces, air handlers. Yeah, we had a big problem with that last year at times. And so we had to pivot. And HERS Raiders today, they know that. They know that they have to have a plan A, a plan B, and sometimes a plan C for their builder clients. Because in today's environment, you can't put all your eggs in one basket with one product line. You got to have backups. And this is a good avenue for that. Got it. Thank you. Nat, I wanted to go back and explore a term you used, which I wasn't familiar with. I'm not sure the listeners would be. You said chemical council. What is that? It's one of the big trade associations here. It's the Texas Chemical Council. And so they represent people like Dow Chemical. That's going to be their type of members. Those that are making the product that goes into home insulation, for example. And so it's called the Texas Chemical Council. We're the Texas Association of Builders. So there's a trade association just about for everything. (laughs) Very good. Thank you for clarifying that. What I love about this conversation, the familiarity and the engagement that a company like Fox and the builders have. Are you two working together regularly or did you just meet on this topic? I'll ask Ned first. Yeah, no, we've been working together for many years. I've been at TAB since 2006, October of 2006. 
And I guess James was saying he was at Fox in 08, but I remember years and years ago when James joined and started getting involved that we would collaborate on different issues. He's part of the our codes committee, a very integral part of our codes and standards committee. And so over the years, we've discussed this issue, other issues, energy in particular, but especially when it comes to the legislature, we really rely on our members. I mean, most of the issues that we've seen, I've been here since 06, so most of the issues that come up, I have a pretty good idea of where our members are going to decide to stand and whether it's good or bad for the home building industry. But there are items that come up that we need to go to our members and say, hey, what is this doing to you? Is this good? Is this bad? And James has been one of the people that over the years and his company, Fox Energies, over the years, we've reached out to to help understand just how a policy or a bill will affect home building. So we've worked together, not just on this issue, but many issues over the years. He's a great resource, just as all our members are. Membership is what drives trade associations, certainly. I'll add to that, if there's any HERS Raiders in the audience that are looking to get actively involved with the legislative process in their home state, it's a good idea to get involved with the active players within that process. And in Texas, it's TAB. TAB carries a lot of influence at the state capitol, but it could be a municipal league. It could be another association, depending on what state you reside in as a HERS Raider. But I just really poked my head around at the board meetings at TAB 10 years ago and just absorbed everything initially. And then when these things started popping up that we started seeing on the local level, I'd bring it to Ned's attention, say, hey, have y'all heard of this, these changes coming through? And if not, maybe it's time we start getting our heads together and starting to come up with the game plan to stay ahead of it, to keep housing going and keep housing affordable. And it's just flourished since then. Excellent. I'm going to ask you both for a closing thought, and we'll stick with James here for a second. A closing thought in any prediction, if this is going to go into other states. So two thoughts there. I am getting asked by other stakeholders in other states how we got it done in Texas. So yeah, I can see this translating into other states. It may be different details behind the scenes, and it's going to depend on the politics in your particular state. Texas is a very builder-friendly state, very development-friendly state when compared to the on a national scale. But you may be in a state that's more restrictive. So you can use this as a template, then that's a great thing. I would strongly encourage if you do use this as a template, definitely have the ANSI standard, the HERS index as a backbone to it, because that's where you're going to get your flexibility from. Everything else can fall into place after that when you place the other code infrastructure items on top of that. But I do see this gaining some steam in other states. We weren't the first state to do this, by the way. I've been reminded time and time again that I think Massachusetts was the first state to do this in the nation. And we took some lessons learned from that process that they had in Massachusetts. And I think they did this in the Carolinas as well, or at least they attempted to do this in the Carolinas. So we consulted with some of those folks out there while we were going through this process in Texas. But yeah, I do think it'll gain a little bit of steam. It may not be immediate, but it'll translate to other states. It's a hybrid approach to demonstrating energy code compliance and demonstrated energy efficiency, dollar for dollar. And that's the main objective, dollar for dollar, kilowatt hour for kilowatt hour, not necessarily a score or a percentage above code or anything like that. What really matters is the actual performance of the home, not what it says on a particular report per se. But yeah, to answer your question, I think it will gain some steam in other states. <laughs> Ned, your take on that? 
Something to really keep in mind as you consider how this may spread, Texas leads the nation in home starts. It's led the nation in home starts for many years now. And for many of those years, we were actually double the number two state. So there's a ton of home building going on in Texas. And so it's a great thing for other states to look at and see exactly how it's working and how can it affect them. A lot of the things that we do in Texas to protect housing affordability, we do see spread beyond just energy code issues. And I think we'll probably see that with this. I think HB 3215, one of the great things about it is just how well everyone worked together to come up with this. I mean, HB 3215 was the result of input from, as we mentioned earlier, various stakeholders. I mean, it included the builders, product manufacturers, home energy raters, as we're seeing today, and those environmental concerns. But the bill itself is going to really prove itself out by ensuring that path, this performance path for future home construction and how it will set an aggressive and stringent home energy rating compliance path in our statute that gives consumers and home builders more energy efficient options for years to come. And I think that's key there is that home builders and homeowners are able to work with these various options. And I think James brought up a very important aspect of this that really hits home with what we've been seeing. And that's product shortages. I mean, not only do you have product shortages, you have labor shortages, but those product shortages can really cause a huge delay in the completion of a home. James mentioned things just in the energy aspect. This will help that. This will help that. But you're seeing these product shortages. You were seeing it before COVID and especially during COVID and after. I mean, it's something new every week. The other day it was black paint. It was so hard for people to get something as simple as black paint. Right now it's windows and not only just the windows themselves, but sometimes you can't even get the glazing for the windows. And that's a big part of the energy efficiency of a home, certainly. And so that's how I think 3215 is going to really prove itself out. And I do think that other states will be looking at us because of the volume of homes being built. And when they see how effective and how good it is to provide these options to consumers and home builders, that it should spread. I think so. Very good. You helped me out here with some key words, cooperation, flexibility, and progress. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you for coming on the Res Talk podcast and sharing these insights with our audience. We look forward to having you back again, maybe sooner than 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right. Thanks, Bill. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I had fun, Bill. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks again for spending some time with us to listen to James and Ned tell us more about the HERS Index and the Texas House Bill 3215. If you're pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us forward slash professional to learn more or to join the email list. You can also find Resnet on Facebook or Twitter. A quote for today by Mark Zweig, who's an American businessman. The trend is your friend. If you're interested in feeding back to Resnet and what you heard here, or would like to hear a new topic covered or have just a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so. As always, thank you for listening to Res Talk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spone, produced by William P. Spone, LLC, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. 
The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. We would appreciate a review on iTunes or on the podcast app. This will help others find the show. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk.